Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another day, therefore it's another episode. I hope you're all doing well. Um... Today's going to brighten up your day. This is an absolutely wonderful episode. Um, not because of my lispy Essex twang, um, but because of today's guest. And, and that guest is David Gray. Um, this, is, this is a cracker, this one. You, you, you're in for a real treat. David was an absolute joy uh, to talk to. Chose some incredible records, and uh, and we, we we had a real laugh. And, uh, and you're about to hear that, obviously. Um, before that... Just a few thank yous. So um, a thank you to uh, Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, uh, a big thank you to 76 for producing this podcast. Uh, thank you to you lot for continuing to support this podcast. Um, you've you've literally made... We, we, we talk about lockdown at the beginning of so many of these episodes uh, with the guests. And the thing that has, has 100% kept me kept my brain where it needs to be and has kept me balanced and excited about creativity and ideas and people and conversation is doing this podcast. Um, and I wouldn't be doing that um, if it wasn't for the encouragement that I get through through you lot, um, whether it's messages on the socials or likes and shares and retweets or just seeing that you know, the amount of listens that I'm getting, you know, it's growing nicely. And so it's, yeah, and it's all thanks to, to you lot. So thank you very much. Um, also, if this is your first time listening to Off The Beat and Track, welcome. You're, uh, you, you've chose a good one to start with. Um, when you finish listening to my chat with David, go and have a look in the archives because um, there's some lovely chats to be had. Uh, there's probably about 270. Um, they're all for free. So go and uh, get stuck in. You know, why not go and listen to me talk to Maxine Peak or the Foo Fighters or Motley Crue or Fatboy Slim? Um, gosh, there's there's so many now, and and for some reason when I rattle off them, I always rattle off the same ones. Chuck D from Public Enemy, that's a great chat. The actress Joe Hartley um, has has definitely been a listener favourite. I can't recommend that one uh, enough. And, uh, yeah, go and have a look because, you know, if, if you like your musicians, there's hundreds. And, you know, I've had chats with producers such as Butch Vig, um, which is a, is a great episode. Um, chats with comedians such as uh, James Acaster, Ed Gamble, um, Maisie Adam. Oh, there's loads. Go, go and have a, a rummage in that archive and, uh, and yeah, and have a little listen. And drop us a message. Let us know what you think. Um, yeah, well, 
I guess I'm kind of done with all the, the, the pre-show uh, ramble, so should we get on to the good stuff now? And it's really weird, you can't say ramble now without feeling like you're ripping off Buxton. Um, but I'm not, I'm not. It's, uh, it's just what I'm doing when I'm, I'm uh, wittering on. Anyway, let's get on with today's episode. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track Podcast with the wonderful David Gray. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beat and Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The Cacao Bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So, One of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out, www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat. But yeah, in the coming months, there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us, to win bottles of stuff. There's loads of exciting things coming soon, and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. All right, let's get back to the podcast. It's Off The Beat & Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Right, we are recording Joining me today via the means of Zoom, David Gray. Hello. Hello there. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, Jab. You know, uh, I'm getting older, so there there are a few bits falling (laughs) off. But apart from the general maintenance and sort of MOT type stuff that I'm having to do, I'm I'm feeling all right. I've got the joys of spring, I think, starting to pulse through the, um, Mm. the brain cells and the body seeing the sun and just being outside. So, yeah, I'm feeling not bad today. Good, good, good. Do you think it's a thing like, I'm, I'm 48 on Wednesday, and, and, like, and I've realised that any kind of imperfections and, and like ailments now are at the forefront of any conversation I have. So, how you been? Yeah, not bad. I mean, I've had a bit of a, like, my knee's been giving me a bit of shit, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll live. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I'm, I, I, I'm on last warning because I keep going on. A, I've had a succession of back problems. Maybe it's like middle age and the sort of, you know, the sort of stress of this middle zone. Maybe that's what it's really about. Sure. Uh, everything coming home to roost. But obviously, it's a bit of wear and tear as well. And I've been doing what I've been doing for the last 30 years. And it's obviously going to have a, a sort of an effect on my body. They don't put a flight case around you and they ship you around the world. So, uh, right. you know, it, it's, it, it is. Yeah, but the, the moaning and groaning. Oh, my God. You know, I, 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 I'm not really aware of it. It's become I'm such a constant. <laughs> <laughs> I've had so many constant back problems. I'm, I, they, they won't take any more now. I'm getting jipped from everybody. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I guess sort of the, the physical side of, 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 of you aside, David, before we start with the playlist, just looking back over the last um, sort of over a year now, um, just wondering how you found it as both David Gray, family man, human being, and David Gray, creative. Well, the family man first. Uh, it's been a real blessing to be able to spend this time 
and you know and I've got many blessings to count you know uh none of us have had covid or close family members have had covid in an extreme way um we've had we've had various um uh, uh, you know friends and family members my daughter's had it blah 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 it, but no 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 and also the kids are that little bit older so it, it's if if we'd have had two you know little tearaways running around the place it would have been a different story i think Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like I've got some room, I've got my studio, uh, but I've really not done that much creative stuff. I mean, I have, but I, I chip away. But I've I've tried to, and I'm not very good at this, so I'm a beginner in terms of trying to give some space to other things rather than prioritise creativity or work in inverted commas, because let's face it, it's not all creative stuff that I am allowed to do just having the catalogue and all the stuff I've done, the touring, the records coming out, there's so much more involved uh, than, than than just getting down here and writing songs. Uh, I love to do that. But again, that's a mindset, and I like to have some open space in front of me. So I, over the years, I've become very good at compartmentalising. So when the tour was cancelled, I've been a bit obsessed with coronavirus from earlier in the year. So I was I was a very early warning put siren for the whole thing i was i was checking our insurance policy at the end of january beginning of february for the tour Oh, really because yeah i just had a bad feeling i thought the cat's out of the bag here and you could tell as the that sort of truth began to emerge about how contagious it was i thought well how are they going to put it back in the bottle i mean you know Mm. anyway um so yes i i think i've i've really enjoyed this year it's and, and that sounds I don't want that to sound uh, disingenuous because obviously there have been downsides and it's been maddening and testing as well and very restrictive but you know I've I've accepted those restrictions and I think it's exposed a truth about British people too that we're good with rules but we're not very good with guidelines mm. so I think that you know when we're told to do something because for the general good, we bloody do it. Mm. And I was really impressed by my mates who are kind of arty crowd of, you know, musos and creative type people. Lots of them anyway, they're complete head cases are for them, but everybody took the, the whole thing very seriously at the beginning, you know, the distancing, the masks, the, the respect for others, the, the respect for the health service, everybody got it. And I think when it was put out in that very clear way, we all dealt with it. Well, it's been a bit of a shambles going forward, mm. but you know, without dragging the entrails of all the decisions out into the open, sure. you know, um, now we've got the vaccination program, and clearly we've stolen a march on lots of people with that. Um, without getting into the moral ins and outs of that as well, uh, it, it's it's changing people's mindset, and and I can feel the positivity and the anticipation that. I might be able to do some of the things that I didn't realise how much I was going to miss, yeah. you know, being able to perform. Um, I'm always complaining because I've done so many shows and so much touring. I've probably taken it a bit too far, yeah. certainly in terms of my family. So this has been a rare opportunity to spend some quality time with my kids and my wife and myself. So uh, and, and I've really, really enjoyed it. Lovely, lovely stuff. Right, David, I'm going to start a playlist yeah. Track one. I'm going to ask you to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. Well, I, I, I feel that I've chosen two things because uh, 
I mean, that's a, it was a difficult track to pick. It's a kind of technical question, almost like a pub quiz question. Uh, and, you know, I, things like um, Party Fears 2 by oh, um, The Associates, yeah. uh, you know, came straight into my mind. Just something where the, the riff is just like, whoa, yeah, from, from the word go. And it's like, and then when the song comes, there's not a single beat of the song that lets you down. It's yeah. just exquisite from start to finish. So something like that, that that reminds me of being young as well, that has this power when it comes on. Um, and so, but I, but the two tracks I, I singled out are La Ritornelle by Sebastian Tellier, which is, is stretching the idea of an intro, but basically it's... It's a repetitive piano riff with a drum groove mm. that goes round and round for about four minutes before the vocal comes in. But it does yeah. build. So it, technically speaking, he's introing the 45 seconds of singing that he wants to He's just introing the 45-second outro. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so I do think that's a wonderful piece of music. And I think that aside from whether it's technically an intro or that the song is sort of the outro of the, the whole piece of music, mm. it, 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 it breaks down the barriers of what songwriting is. And that's what I love about that piece of music. When he came in with the voice, when I first heard that track, I was really surprised because it's so mesmeric anyway. Yeah. You don't need the singing to come in. So, that, so that, that's, I think that's a classic track that shows you, hey, be patient build this let the sense of anticipation rise in the way how would massive attack do this let's let's drip feed the good stuff in there and get it better and better and then then take it to the next level so i i I, so it's absolute killer track now the moment i'd written that down and suggested that was going to be my intro i thought of one that's even more preposterous in a way which is the longest fade in um uh, that I know about. It's the Bad Plus yes. and a track called Everywhere You Turn. It's absolutely phenomenal track, which slayed me whenever this came out about 15, 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, great band as well. Um, and it's got this, yeah, Chad Blake produced the first album. So it's all very beautifully recorded. And they just play this game on, on Everywhere You Turn, which has this phenomenal piano melody, almost like Keith Jarrett-esque. And... Um, but it's slowly, slowly faded. And I don't mean over a minute. It's like about two and a half minute fading. And then the song's at full volume for another two or two Mm. and a half minutes. Uh, But uh, it it really, really works. And it's a trick I've never heard before. So, um, so there's, there's, I've, I've, I've cheated. I've given you three answers to the question, but it was an interesting question that I've never been asked before. Oh, good. It's always the one that musicians struggle with as well. It's always the one where they're like, yeah, I wanted to have that, but like, I'm just going to squeeze this answer in as well. But you've chose two songs that have, um, very long and, uh, and, and layered intros. Um, very much the case with the, the Telia track. So, I just wonder, because um, I'm always interested in how, how songwriters uh, approach songs, especially intros as well, that at the time, if we, if we go back to, you know, when you first sort of touched like a uh, big commercial success, like David Gray become thrown into like the pop mainstream. Yeah. Um, and so I just wonder, like, was there ever and is there ever any pressure on you 
when you see the way that songs are being written now, I guess more towards mainstream pop music, but it they will appear to be getting shorter and the intro songs are now starting with choruses um, and there's no fat on the bone in, in the word pop anymore. And it, I think a lot of that comes down to the way that people are listening to music now, totally. which was like very different. I watch my kids' thumbs on their phones and it's right. quick. It's a attention span is shrinking. So, yeah, so, it's, they, my, my kids will listen to a track that is short. As you say, there's no fat on it whatsoever. By the time they've heard the chorus twice, they'll change it to another track. Yeah. You know? So does that have any, does that find its way into your mindset when you're approaching writing a new record? No, because, uh, you know, I'm sort of marooned in the, a, a distant past where uh, <laughs> <laughs> that sort of taking your time and, you know, uh, it's, it, I guess it's partly the technology that was enabling when I was growing up, was allowing... Well, basically, it became indulgent, so it's interesting that it's become less indulgent uh, because, you know, CDs allowed you to stretch out even further. Your album could be an hour and 15 minutes. It's, mm. You know, it, it got longer. The, rather than what you can put on a piece of vinyl, suddenly the, the, the game changed and you'd have Sledgehammer and massive singles like this that go on for about five, six minutes. Mm. It's, you know, so it, it, it's, it's sort of... An ob- I think when that evolution happened a lot of people took full advantage of their five minutes but actually when you listen back to some of the longer tracks they are a bit fluffy and and I think the part of me that when I got success one of the things that came with it was was dealing with with making single cuts of our album tracks because we made Mm. the album for so little money we didn't even have real drums on it so you know trying to put the thing out as a single it wasn't like just whoring the thing we we thought we'd try and beef the thing up a bit by going sure. into a real studio putting real drums down real pianos see if we could give the, the thing a bit more muscle tone um because you know that on radio you need it and yeah. you know we had the album that was a fact so it was it was a really interesting period that white ladder period of working into things and it became like ridiculous in a way because babylon uh we did two single mixes one for ourselves and then once Warner's got involved, a main one for them here, they got another couple of mixes done. In America, every time we stepped through the different radio formats, they wanted a new mix. That's crazy, isn't it? And it's just the egos getting involved. Yeah. Both at radio. Yeah, we love this, but it could do with a bit more, you know, hey, we're going to get such and such to sprinkle his magic dust on this. That'll be perfect. And then it's just like bullshit. Yeah, uh, I, I remember one mix came back and uh, it was like a conference call. It was excruciating, but uh, th- they'd, they'd remixed Babylon, but they hadn't understood how all the MIDI parts were first. And they'd gone out of sync, basically, with the song. So this was like quite a big name mixer. Yeah. And I had the record company. What I, what I didn't know was the guy who'd mixed it was also on the call. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> this don't bode well. <laughs> they said, "Hey, Dave, yeah, great, you got the mix." I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, got the CDs." I said, "It's a complete load of fucking bollocks. Whoever did this is a fucking idiot. The samples have gone out of sync with the fucking drums. I mean, what the fuck?" And it was like there was just fucking tumbleweed silence. <laughs> I think they've been dining out on this story over there. <laughs> for years so uh that's why your manager should always take the call and they should tell you afterwards but he was on holiday at the time so yeah anyway so just in terms of how does it affect the way i work now no it doesn't because i think actually 
I feel that life's too short and my interest is more and more rarefied. It's, 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 I, I'm more and more fascinated by, you know, Nina Simone at, live at Montreux in 1976 or, you know, the things that I can't explain, the music that's beyond. Yeah. Uh, Tim Buckley's, you know, Earth is Broken, Astral Weeks, uh, you know, Nebraska by Springsteen, records that will, yeah. will be aching for all time. No one will ever work yeah. out quite what happened there. That's the stuff that obsesses me. It's how to get more poetic worth into the song. But sometimes it's interesting, you know, uh, even now, you know, I have to adapt things for radio. And I listen back to some of the full length mixes uh, and or live. You might cut the intro down a little bit because you sense the crowd want you to. And so you adapt, you, you change you, the, the song around. And I actually think, yeah, it works better like this. So it's, sometimes it's not a bad thing to 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 be efficient and and brutal about what's important and yeah. the, the, it's music's been boiled down to something like the gist essentially of the element so the the, the power of the hook and, and followed by another hook and then the slowdown and the, the the emptying out and then the big and then it's just a kick drum coming back in but it feels absolutely euphoric and I mean they're amazing that the you know I, I my kids play music but the rihanna tracks the classic tracks the one with drake you know what's my name and all that i mean they're absolutely phenomenal bits of music mm. uh, and i'm fascinated by you know what's going on i'm not going to start rapping or anything <laughs> <laughs> my kids say why don't you dad come on <laughs> <laughs> okay right well david i'm going to take you back uh, for track two and i'm going to ask you uh, for the first song that you ever remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you please well, I've chosen a piece of choral music. My mum was used to sing in the choirs and she'd play the, the, the music at home that she liked to listen to, which was sometimes the stuff that she was doing in the choir and other times, I guess, just for a listening pleasure. But I remember hearing this particular piece of music and, and it wasn't until I was in my 30s that someone played me Allegri's Miserere and um, I said, Jesus Christ, I know this Thing. They played me a, a really great recording of it, which I've, I, will, I can find out what it was. There are better recordings than others. It's, it is just something holy, and, and that, that strange, uh, haunting, you know, John Taverner-type choral music that has almost like rubbing harmonies where things are slightly ambiguous and, and the way that vocal arrangements were made uh, way, way back. And this is the piece of music, famously, that Mozart transposed what he got back and he wrote it all out as a child he heard it in church and it was banned you weren't allowed to write this music down it was considered too sacred so you, you weren't allowed to, to write the notes of the music down and what he did was actually a crime so he he went home having heard it once in the church and wrote the whole thing out but it, it's uh, when the very high descant hits the the high note and hangs the thing down and it descends it does bring tears to my eyes and you know, reminds me of tracks where, where, where boys' voices are used, like um, famously on Spirit of Eden, you know, I, I Believe in You, where, the, the, oh. I mean, that makes me cry, that song. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't know what it is. Is it a grief song? It, it plugs into somewhere deep in me that, that makes me grieve. Yeah. Uh, but that, 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 that airy magic that you get only with that kind of voice. And um, so, yeah, this, this, my mum playing choral music, you, took, you asked about what had an emotional impact. I remember being sort of stuck in my tracks listening to some of this music. And this is just one piece, but the, it's one of the only ones I could name check. And what was the emotion? 
that, that I was in the presence of something other and sacred. So the emotion, I think, of what was in the music, I, none of this would have been understood by me as a small person, but yeah. I, I, it just it stopped me in my tracks. That's, that's what I remember. I remember asking, what is this? You know, what is this? I mean, at the same time, my dad would be playing pop music, the Beatles, Elton John, you know, tracks like that, I can remember. I, I thought of putting, like, Rod Stewart's, um, you know, uh, I Don't Want to Talk About It, um, songs that I remember hearing and being really fascinated by, and I Am yeah. Sailing, that Atlantic yeah. Crossing record. It's got sort of epic kind of emotion about it that I think you like sort of over-the-top stuff when you're a kid. Yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, but, but this, this, yeah, this touching the, the, the hem of something just other i mean and, and yeah. that, i mean i think you know choral music i mean just just to go back to my latest record singing together with other people is is sort of the ultimate form of music making because to be joined by breath and use the voice the physical aspect uh, and, and carrying the words and the idea together with nothing else no drums no nothing the rhythm everything the melody the chords the structure the muscle tone of that whole piece rests on you really uh, it's a phenomenal feeling so it it's it's something i guess i'm sort of i've plugged into a bit on this latest thing rather than doing harmonies myself which i do love to do it's one of the yeah. great pleasures of recording is is finding close harmonies and, and interesting harmonies that are very intuitive to each singer they'll hear things differently but to have others come in and, and do their thing, it just, oh, it, it's been, a, a, it's been a, a gift beyond price. Wonderful. I'm going to stay in the, the formative years for track three, uh, David, and ask you for the song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Well, I mean, this could have been like a gazillion things, uh, but I've chosen Come On Eileen because I, I don't name check Dexies enough. And um, much as I love Gino and the first album, oh, yeah. where, which is and now I probably prefer a little in a way to the second one. Mm -hmm. It was the second one that knocked my socks off first because I don't know. It's just I was working as a washer upper in a restaurant in the summer holidays and the holidays. And when I went in, I could play, listen to the radio because I was first in. I had to make the salads and. It, uh, I had to do all that stuff. I had use of the, the sound system until everyone got in there for their shift and the evening thing. And I'd listen to the chart run down. And it just reminds me of that summer and then going to like, well, I lived in the middle of nowhere in Wales. So sort of barn dances and, you know, uh, very rustic form of sort of dancing and yeah. <laughs> rustic clubbing. <laughs> <laughs> generally with a roasted animal nearby. Uh, I'm it, sure it, there was an album called Rustic Clubbing <laughs> in the late 90s. I guarantee it, mate. <laughs> yeah, all dressed in Hessian. <laughs> like the Beloved or something. <laughs> We've gone rustic. We've joined with the Wurzels. <laughs> oh, amazing. It's like Combine Arvester meets, <laughs> meets Euphoria, mate. <laughs> It'll give you fucking A fever, it will. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it, it was, yeah, so that was, I just remember this summer. It, uh, it just, I could have chosen, as I say, so many tracks because I think at that time in your life, music is just something that's just, um, 
it's bits of your personality you're you're listening to that are adding into you. You're mm. sort of constructing yourself out of all these postures and things and ideas. And you know, I didn't start dressing like Dexys, but um, mm. you know, but this this I actually preferred probably most of the songs on the whole um, two Ray Ray two Rye album more than I preferred the single. But the single just got played everywhere and. Because they kind of, I, I was into like the specials of Madness and when I was, you know, like 12, 13, 14. And, and then that waned and Dexys were still going. To, to get people to play that kind of music was difficult um, in, the, in the discos and the what have you. So, but that, this track just got played to death. And I can remember dancing to it uh, really drunk. Um, I mean, inappropriately young, no doubt, at this stage. But a few times and kissing girls and it's it has this i lived in this small fishing village and it's like a tourist place really so in the summer you know you'd meet girls and that you had more options essentially so uh yes a carefree time in my life that uh that that i've that's why i've chosen this is a summer number one that i remember just uh just that that summer, whatever summer that was, nineteen eighty three, I guess maybe or eighty four, probably eighty three. Frankie was eighty four, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I reckon eighty three. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so weird because you know I, I feel that like Dexys do get their their you know their, their credibility now. I do think people have acknowledged now that Dexys you know are a really important band. But it always feels that that's the kind of novelty record. It gets sort of dismissed because of wedding discos for for the last you know, 30-odd years. But it's one of them times I was, I was literally sitting where I'm sitting now with my, with my mate a couple of weeks ago recording, and it come on the radio, and we sat there, and I just went, do you know what, like, I haven't sort of stopped and listened to this record properly. No. Ever. It's just one of them songs that's always there. And then when you listen to it, it's like, fucking hell, this is a masterpiece. It is just... There's nothing missing from that record. Oh, it's, it's brilliant as well. I, I think... The, the daring to conceive of such a song. I mean, mm. it's so instant that you immediately think, oh, yeah, it's like this is just pop. Yeah. But but it's actually banjos and stuff. I mean, it's mm. like, you know, but it, and that record, double tracking as well, it's much more produced than the mm. first album. So I think that perhaps took a little bit of the, sh- the sort of credibility sheen off. Maybe, you know, yeah. You know, listening to it as someone who's made records now, I can, oh, God, yeah, they've doubled this and they've doubled that. It's really very produced. But mm. but just great energy, great high concept. It's like, well, you don't quite know where his head's at, where is he coming, where is he coming from. It's yeah. like a sort of weird sort of stream of consciousness of all this stuff with this sort of smutty love song going on in the middle of it. But as you say, the, the construction of the thing, the slowdown, come up. Uh, I mean, to pull all that off, yeah. I'm like, was this done to a click or is this done live? Yeah. And you could, I bet it's a bit of both. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, I, I've, I've, I've done exactly the same thing as you're describing. It's later in life, I, I've, just, I've, I've sort of, you can't really hear that song because it just got played to death, but actually it's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and the whole thing, poor old Johnny Ray. I mean, who the fuck's Johnny Ray anyway? Yeah. So <laughs> that's how it starts. It's, yeah. And, and just where he's going with the lyric. And I just, I, I actually, it's actually, yeah, it's brilliant. And the whole album, I think, is fantastic. So melodic, so energised. Whatever he was on at that time, 
whether he regrets the fact it was a little poppier than, you know, the first one or whatever, because maybe he got a little bit of flack or it became so popular. I, I actually think that a bit like the Waterboys, this is the sea, comparable where very produced record, but actually brilliant because the songs and the sentiment uh, there's, he's still gritty. He's still believable. He pulls it all together. So, yeah, mm. I, anyway, I bought into it as a 15-year-old or whatever enormously. I remember getting that record back. Same thing, going down to the the restaurant and being able to listen to the, the cassette all the way through yeah. before anyone else got there. And this is <laughs> fucking brilliant. I had to do like an hour and a half's bus journey to be able to go and buy it because that was yeah. the nearest record shop. Listen up. I've only got another new sponsor. Egg Fried. It's this super cool clothing label. And if you're into sort of skating and street art and gigging and, and kind of like really cool art and throwing a little bit of Asian culture and, and the designer's kind of weird sense of humour in the mix, then you're pretty much there with the wonderful world that is eggfried.com. Now, they do these amazing punchy kind of graphic tees, hoodies and sweatshirts, beautiful art prints, as well as this, they have a denim range, all handmade in-house, all supporting the slow fashion movement. Not only that, they've given you a discount code, 10% off when you head over to eggfried.com. Just use the code EGGSALAD, E-W-G-S-A-L-A-D, save 10%. Go and get lost in the world of egg fried. Also, they've got a new kids range, and it's called Small Fried, and it's super cool, super cute. Um, and again, it's all over there in this wonderful world. Go and get involved at eggfried.com. How was, how was school for you? Well, I, I was, um, it, was, it was very good, you know. I, I, I was in Manchester, so my early years were in Manchester, and we were in a kind of, we moved out of Sale to Hale, which is a big change, one letter, but very different world and then I think my parents took me out of peer group pressure they took me out of the the local primary school and I went into because I was bright I got put into like a prep school which streamed for Manchester grammar so that was the way I was going and it was brutally sort of streamed as well at the prep school like you sat in desks I remember depending on your test results that's how close to the front you were so it was like utterly right off uh, but um, I went from that reality. I was I was very academic, as well as being very into art and stuff. Um, and then went to Wales, where I was already about a year and a half ahead of the class I was supposed to be in. But it was like landing in this tiny little local school in Wales was just the most lovely thing, uh, the most a warmest welcome, and uh, a, 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 and it, and I. A di- idyll, really, a sort of child- childhood idyll of of just no real pressure. There was a decent comprehensive school uh, a few miles away, which we all went to for st- once we went to the big school. So that was that was my reality, and uh, it was it was lovely. You know, it was a small village community, and you knew everybody, and and it was it was really uh, you know lovely. Um, then I, at secondary school, I lost interest in my studies about the same time I gathered my interest in, you know, all the things you're not supposed to do, like drinking, smoking, chasing girls and obviously listening to music. I didn't have any older brothers and sisters. So it wasn't until I got to secondary school that that really kicked in, but it kicked in very quickly. And then after a couple of years, I guess I was hanging around with some of the less academic kids who were a bit more mental and a bit more up for 
whatever. So, or more into music, which was probably yeah. more important, you know. So, um, I wanted to dress differently, and you know, I used to get beaten up because I dress, you know, in weird ways. Like I either like madness, or a bit later on, I'd wear a bit of Robert Smith lippy or something. Someone would want to kick the shit out of me for that. Um, yeah. So it was that. That was what school was like, and it was again, it was a really fun experience. Uh, I, I just. My parents were probably thinking, what the hell happened? Because my mm. grades and everything just disintegrated when I was about 13. But uh, with art and English, the things I was really interested in, I, I kept on, you know, being interested. I didn't do much work with English. but So that, that was sort of... I just took the path of least resistance from there. I went to art school and... You know, I worked it out. I scanned the, I scanned the scene. <laughs> Art's cool. <laughs> That's the way to go. No, I, I loved painting. I loved. So that was. It was a very happy time for me. I was very untroubled. Uh, you know, my after I left school, my parents got divorced, but I didn't really see that coming. So at that period of my life, I was just yeah. I'm down there. It, this is a different era. You know, you you. I'd walk miles to see friends or cycle miles. And yeah. I was just out all the time. Yeah. I was out all the time, you know, doing things, smoking, drinking, kissing girls, whatever. I was just out all the time. And and, my, and you were free to be out. Doors were left open. It wasn't, it was a small community in the middle of nowhere. It was, a, it, that, so, that's, so that's what my school years were like, you know, very, um, very dreamy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Really? And, I mean, I've, I've seen you on stage, you know, I've been in crowds of big crowds watching you on stage, and you always seem... From from the from where I'm standing, you seem to be very comfortable and confident in in, in what you're doing. Was you a, a confident young man? I think that um, I think I, I was. Well, I mean, everybody's a complicated bag of of different contradictory elements. So I'd say that I was very shy in some ways, um, 
but I've always had an inner confidence um, ever since I was little. And um, I don't know where that came from. I don't think it's something you can give to someone. I think it was just innate. Yeah. And um, so I, I can remember my first time on stage, or like proper time. I, I was at Solver School. As I say, I moved there. So I was eight or nine years old and the Christmas play was on and I was just one of the sort of extras in the play. But they'd worked out that I had a good memory. And the main, the wizard, the main character in the school play got sick the day before the show. So I had one day to learn the play. Uh, I, they brought me in as his understudy. And I I'd had, I learnt the lines, no problem. But the, the, he had dance moves. They were like, they didn't have a chance to go through the choreography with me. So when it came to doing the wizards <laughs> dancing, I just had to improvise in a wizardy way. And Glorious. I was, I, was a, I was a huge hit with this very small audience of probably only about 40 or 50 people. But I, I remember the adulation that I remember them giving it up for me. Mm. And, you know, some people step up on the stage under the lights and they get a feeling of terror. But for me, it just worked the other way. I saw how the electric current passed through me you know, the loop, I saw the loop working and realised there was nothing to worry about. This was actually wonderful. And 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 there, a penny dropped somewhere and, and I began to do, I didn't do a huge amount of am-dram and stuff like that, but I did a bit. I liked being on the stage. And then I formed a band and um, made an exhibition of myself, basically, just, you know. So that, that that's 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 what I was, I was, I was full of ideas and, yeah, full of confidence I guess bordering on arrogance when you're a teenager because you're just an idiot. You say, "Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be. I'm going to be on." I remember the headmaster taking the piss out of the school us at the school band because we were allowed to play at the disco and basically everybody left, and we were called <laughs> the, the we were called the vacuums. And um, and he said, uh, uh, "Everyone who went to the disco last night, uh, I I think we we all saw something rather rather important. The first concert of the vacuums." Um, I guess we'll be seeing them all on top of the pops very soon. And the whole place went into an uproar. And I just thought, right, OK, mate, you've taken it too far there. You know, at least we're doing something. Fuck your homework. <laughs> oh, I hope you knocked on his door when you went on top of the pops. <laughs> <laughs> People don't have top of the pops anymore. It's sad. Well, it's, it's a question I, I always um, like to ask musicians because as, as, as someone that grew up obsessed with that TV show and you mentioned Madness and you mentioned the specials and, 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 and obviously um, associates and stuff and at that point seeing Top of the Pops was just so exciting because everybody, Adam and they all looked so brilliant. Everybody oh. looks up. Then Madness started making music videos and it was like the ultimate thing for young lads to just get obsessed with seeing these... These herberts from like North London just totally, like yeah. it just seemed like the best thing. So <laughs> I've I've actually spoke to like a, a couple of the guys from Madness on here about them first kind of ventures onto Top of the Pops because at that point you think you do Top of the Pops and then you get on a Concord and fly home and you know just to count your money. But you know they walked home and <laughs> and, and so I, I just wondered like for, uh, for you, David. Like obviously I presume you grew up watching. Top of the Pops, like, like everybody else. Like, how was it for you when you got the call saying you was going to go on Top of the Pops and did it deliver? Oh, well, it was part of the most exciting week of my life. So um, we, 
you know, the story of White Ladder has been well told, but needless to say, it was a slow journey from release in Ireland to release in the UK and then being picked up by Warners over a year after the original release. Then they started to put some weight behind the whole thing. And we gathered... So by the time of Glastonbury in the summer of 2000, we were, you know, the the record was creeping up into the top 10, top five, the album. And Babylon was being re-released as a single. So we played on the other stage, what was the NME stage. And then we came back, we had a party, got back to the hotel and my manager said, yeah, we just had a call. Bert Bacharach's pulled out tomorrow. Everyone loved your performance today. They've asked, can we stay on an extra day? And, and and play on the main stage tomorrow. So um, so I said, uh, wow, OK, yeah. And we all kind of looked at each other and it was like things in Ireland were that much bigger. So we were starting to headline festivals over there. But that was mind blowing. I mean, yeah. it was like the Battle of Helm's Deep. People <clears> were like, <throat> you know, seas of people. It was they weren't orcs, but I mean, <laughs> uh, and so we were there. There we were. So suddenly we were going on. Three slots before David Bowie on the closing slot of you know, on the main stage at Glastonbury, the sun starting to go down, and Perfect. well, we just we just we were super nervous, but we just had the best time. And then when we got backstage, we were so blown away. So things mad stuff happened. My dad turned up. He he was having chemotherapy. He just pulled the the the, the things out of his arm. Got his mate to pick him up. He couldn't stand missing the whole thing, so he came down from Wales. He managed to blag in to the backstage behind the main stage. People came out of the woodwork. There was a whole, I mean, we just, we had a party, you know. We were smoking and drinking everything we had. We were completely bongoed. And then my dad said, look at David Bowie standing over there. He doesn't know what to do with himself. Tell you what, I'm going to go and talk to him. So this is a long story. I do apologise, but this is all leading up top of the pops. So I said, no way, Dad. Listen, you're blagged in here. That's one thing. You're not going to just go and kick through his security cordon and go and have a chat with Bowie. I said, leave the guy alone. Come on now. Well, he knew he was going to die like uh, my dad, you know, in a, the near to mid future. So he didn't give a shit. He just said, no, I'm going. So Tim, the keyboard player, said, Pete, I'm coming with you. So me and Clune said, OK, we're in. And, and he had this charm. My dad, he charmed us in there. And then we, then we had a chat with Dave. He was super charming and he was absolutely right. He'd nailed it. He was having a funny moment, basically thinking, yeah, you know, I've had a funny old period of time leading up to this gig. And that was his sort of part beginning of his reclamation, really, mm. that that <clears> performance. <throat> and he really, I mean, this, anyway, it got to the point where we were chatting to him for like an hour. And he was like really enjoying talking to us. We had the buzz, you know, we, it was all happening. He knew what that was like. He'd done it. And he showed me a set list. It was just ridiculous, like Wild as the Wind, Starman, Ashes to Ashes. He said, do you think it'll be all right? I said, Jesus Christ, baby. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll drop that one. <laughs> yeah, I'll lose Starman. <laughs> Everyone's forgotten that. Uh, ashes to Ashes, that's a bit crap as well. Uh, yeah, um, it was... Anyway, could, so then, then someone from the record company said, well, now it's the chart rundown. And I'd completely forgotten that we even had a single in the chart. And then it went all the way down. By the time we got into the top ten and they hadn't said Babylon, I, I, I thought, well, we've not made it into the top 40. And then it went in at number five. So then, you know, that we went on, on to sort of... We were already on cloud nine. We went on to cloud ten. And then we, we all had to get onto the tour bus because someone said, well, we've got to get back. We were top of the pops on Tuesday night. And this was Sunday night. And it was like, What? 
Uh, so the whole thing was just completely mad. And, and then you're there and you've got the logo behind you. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was just... And then, you know, I, I, I don't really remember much about the Top of the Pop performance or anything. I just remember the logo and someone snapped a photo of, it, of us. And, then, and, you know, there was Albert Square or whatever was out there. Yeah. You could go and sit in, on what's-his-name's bench, you know. Um, so we did all that kind of kerfuffle and and then basically did our performance. And then I think it used to air on a Friday night at that mm. time. And then we had a big party on the Friday with everyone round to mine to watch Top of the Pops. <laughs> I mean, it, it was as far honestly, as weeks go, that ain't bad, is it? it, it, it <laughs> I, I was, I was literally, I was so far out into the stratosphere. <laughs> I think what it is, is like we all have to hold our sort of, defensive coating because the world is not an easy place yeah. and people can wound you, you know, and especially us old musos who've been putting it out for God knows how long and, you know, been pissed on shit on and ignored. It's like we're all carrying these kind of shadows with us. There was something happened that week that was so euphoric and so total. We, we just felt the love to the extent we just let all the armour just fell to the ground and it was like, Whoa, this is it. We love it. It's like, life's fucking brilliant. And we just, I, I laughed so much. I was just, without even booze or anything, I was just high as a kite. Yeah. And I remember that feeling. It lasted like weeks. You know, I, I, I couldn't come back down. And of course, you've got the whole trajectory then. We were just like, it started kicking off everywhere. And it all becomes a bit of a blur because there's only so much champagne and, you know, business class fucking air travel you can do. Sure. <laughs> Oh, how lovely. What a week. Well, you, you, you touched on um, getting the bus into to, to the record shop uh, earlier. So for track four, I'm going to ask you, um, going to stay in the formative years for this one. The first record you remember buying from a record store, please, David. Yeah, it was from Woolworths in Hanford West. It was I Don't Like Mondays by the Boomtown Rats. So uh, I guess I was 11 when this came out. And like I said, I'd just gone to secondary school. And I remember seeing it on top of the pops and it was a very instant, very theatrical kind of song. Um, so, yeah, that was I, I, I was I was straight into town and I bought it. And then I made a friend because I I sort of took it into school to show the person sitting next to me. Um, and and someone else. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah that's a good track. You know, and then that we became uh, school friends from that point on. David George. <laughs> It's it's really weird. There's I, I saw a documentary on the iPlayer about three weeks ago about the Boomtown Rats, and and my knowledge of them doesn't go far beyond uh, I don't like Mondays and Rat Trap. I think yeah, and and, and most of the stuff I heard, I wasn't particularly fond of, but they didn't sound like anyone else. <laughs> they were quite a unique sounding band. It was it had a bit of pub rock, but it was a bit post punk yeah. and a bit punk. It was like a hybrid, I, and it, I think. I think it was Americanized. Yeah. So those kind of American kind of rock, the, what was not quite punk. Yeah. Like a pubbier kind of American-y kind of thing. So like, I'm trying to think, they're not bands I really know much about, so I'm not going to be able to name check them all. But there's a certain American sound, which, like cooler American bands that they were sort of, I guess, influenced by, or even like Tom Petty and stuff. Yeah, and the cars so and I, things like that. I could, you can see that that, so, mm. so it wasn't, 
in any way cool, I don't think, compared. But they did write a couple of great singles, Rat Trap and... Um, mm. Well, Rat Trap, when you listen to that, is actually is like a quite pubby kind of, mm. quite overly complex kind of thing. It was that... Mm. It, yeah, so they, they, they kind of... They styled in a punky way, but they really weren't a part of that. It was something a bit different and... You know, uh, but yeah, that, that, he was very charismatic, wasn't he? And, mm. and I think when you were a kid, like 11, I was very taken in by the bullhorn crackles and the captain. Yeah. The bullhorn crackles and the captain <laughs> tackles all the problems in the house and ways. And you could see no reason. And it was like, yeah, I like this. I'm going to go and buy it. So that's the first single I bought. Oh, if someone would have told me a couple of weeks ago, David Gray's going to be singing Boomtown Rats hits to me. <laughs> I've never believed you. Um, I mean, j- just as, as you've got older, like, um, you know, it, through your, sort of, your, your late teens and early 20s and stuff like that, how important were, were you know, for, for you with your back home there and your Robert Smith lippy on, how important were, like, record shops for you growing up? Yeah, I, they, they were vital. I mean, I... I there weren't many to go to for me. So I, I, I've had a strange... My way of discovering music is more word of mouth than always has been, apart from what I'd see on top of the pops. Like, oh, there's Echo and the Bunny Man. I like that. I'm going to go and buy it. Ocean Rain or whatever. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it was like people would tell me, have you heard the Cramps? Have you heard this? Have you heard the Meteors? Or if you like the Cramps, you like the Meteors, you might, you might should check this out. Have you heard the Cocteau Twins' first album? Have you... And, I, I, and I'd have to ring up the record shop, Swales, in Hereford West, and order anything that wasn't in the charts. And then, you know, they'd say that'll be in next week. And then I'd go into town on the Saturday on the bus and, and, and pick it up with my pocket money. And I'd, like, not eat my dinner. I'd save my dinner money. So I'd, like, starve myself at school so I could buy another, you know, single or something. And I'd go into town and buy it. So... Yeah, there's all that excitement, which isn't there anymore, obviously. There's so much to be got from that journey, isn't there? Well, well, you'd read the entire liner notes before you could listen to the damn thing. You'd have read it cover to cover and, like, looked at the weird images and the photos. I remember buying Madness. I must have been 11 at the time. One Step Beyond album and all the photos on it would still fascinate me now. Pictures of their mates and stuff like that. It was like, who are they? It was the (laughs) scene. It was the scene, wasn't it? Yeah. you know, a lot of them didn't look that, that sort of skinhead or that mod. Yeah. They just looked like London people, you know, yeah. in, in a photo booth, most of them. So, but yeah, you... so pouring over those, those things. So, uh, but, you know, I, where I lived was right at the bottom of a, of a valley. So there was no radio reception. So I'd never listened to John Peel, for example, or any of those things. They just, I couldn't get that. And yeah. uh, so it was, I was finding out from older people and other people, if I like this, if I like Bob Dylan, have I ever heard John Martin? If you like John Martin, have you heard Nick Drake? If you like, yeah. if you like Bob Dylan, have you heard Leonard Cohen? And, and it was a, so I, all through my life. I mean, I've, I've never been that hip kid who just knows it all because his parents did uh, or his elder brothers and sisters. I've always just been slowly piecing it together. And, sure. you know, so it was a long time before I discovered Van Morrison, for example, who's a real, obviously a massive effect on me when I, when I did discover him. Mm. But I was probably about 20 years old by the time I heard him, you know. So it, it, it was so record shops. I'm not one of those people who goes browsing in record shops now. I, I, I am, I'm afraid, sort of, you know, I'm on the streaming thing. Mm-hmm. I, I listen to things like Late Junction now to find nuggets and then I'll explore outwards if I find a a band or a track that I really, really love. 
I'll, I'll, I'll even let the algorithm suggest other things sometimes. Yeah. I'm generally quite resistant, though. I'm sort of hair shirt wearing. I'd rather not be enjoying myself than be told how to enjoy myself <laughs> by things that apparently know what I enjoy. I, I'm not complying on any level with this <laughs> authoritarian pleasure fucking principle. <laughs> But I'm not going down a record shop, though, because that's too much of a pain in the ass. Well, they've all been shut, haven't they? It was so funny because I get my hair cut in Soho and I go down Berwick Street and see all the, you know, and then sadly some of them have gone. I do love to see them. Yeah. You know, and see things in the window that I haven't heard. In, I mean, if I ever write a, a memoir or a book, it's going to be, I'm going to be using certain albums to trigger memories. Yeah. You know, ones that I haven't listened to. I'm keeping a few in reserve that I, yeah. I, I haven't listened to in, you know, 30 years odd. Uh, yeah. So I, I, so I guess a record, the record shops were absolutely vital to me growing up. Uh, uh, you know, absolutely vital, essential. I, I poured all my money and there was also a small guitar shop there. I bought my first electric guitar in the same shop. Um, so it, it, it was it was a vital place to go. And then listening to what they would say, there was a stall as well in the market where he'd sell records and he'd say, oh, if you like Bob Dylan, you might like John Cooper Clark. So that's how I, I discovered John Cooper Clark and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm going to take you forward a little bit now um, to, uh, to track five, where I'm going to ask you the song that soundtrack your years clubbing, please, David. Well, I mean, I didn't really have any years clubbing. I was a sort of, you know, a lunatic doing whatever in my late teens and 20s. But I've never liked places where you can't hear what anyone's saying to you. And I think that kind of doff, doff, doff music just wasn't spatial enough for me. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I did when I came to London and I with my manager, Rob Holden, he was always also managing uh, Orbital. And right. I married Olivia and Rachel, Olivia's sister, was married to Phil from Orbital. So it was a very complex. And when I came down and met them, I started to go into Orbital gigs and then things like tribal gathering and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you, 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 you do what everyone else is doing. You take a pill and you, you have a bloody fucking great time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm going to have to pick an Orbital track. Uh, for that period, I do remember a wonderful gig. Um, my favourite Orbital record is the Brown record, yeah. second one. And um, Impact Earth is Burning is my favourite track on there. So I remember watching them doing like a sort of all nighter at Brixton Academy, like Club Dog, Mega Dog, it was called. Yeah. Uh, and um, in in a, probably about ninety four. Yeah. Like Christmas New Year ninety four sort of thing. So it was like um. So uh, and that was like I do think they had something special. They 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 wanted to be like Kraftwerk that had that little bit of performance and playing and authenticity and complexity to their electronic music. They weren't happy just bish bash bosh. They, they it was you know Paul and Phil have got you know really Catholic taste in music, but also you know they were as interested in Philip Glass as they are in yeah. you know. Uh, all this other stuff that you know that, that everyone was feeding off. So there, there's a real complexity. And one thing I remember about being in the crowd was the way that they would bring the crowd up and then chill, and then and then you know. And it and it's I, I feel that dynamics basically, which are, that was one of the things I didn't like about a lot of electronic music. Yeah, uh, there's the sort of boom boom, just the relentless. Uh, I, I I've, it's like mechanized, isn't it? It's like <clears> sort of 
you know, it's just sort of industrial kind of... I mean, I'm not going to slag it because, you know, um, warm leatherette or uh, Blue Monday, uh, where the only human thing on Blue Monday is Bernard's vocal and Hookie's guitar, everything else is programmed, uh, is just a phenomenal piece of music and poetry that never dims. Yeah. And and as is as as intriguing as Pink Moon by Nick Drake still to this day. So I don't think that the click track is the enemy, but I I think it's too easy to just you know, the the the, the less musical can res- achieve a result. And I, I, again I don't mind that. I, I sometimes the you know, the with the simplest most bedroom means something like somehow strange and hard to define comes out of it. So I, I, and then this all played a part in White Ladder. I mean, we, we definitely bit into that bedroom sound and that electronic sound. But again, it's got to have dynamics and ebb, yeah. ebb and flow. I'm like, why are you taking me on this journey? There's got to be a point where you, this crescendo is like a yeah. fuck, you know, even if there's no words. Well, I'm going to take you home for track six and ask for a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please, David. Well, I'm going back to Manchester because technically I am a Mancunian and obviously this gives me rich picking, so I could go for, you know, the first single on Factory, the Duritty Column, uh, Sketch of Summer, which is a track I absolutely fucking love. Uh, But I'm not. I'm going to go for my mate, Brian Glancy. Uh, So the track's actually, if you go on Spotify, it will say Mark Burgess and the Sons of God. And they made a but this was Mark Burgess and the Sons of God was Mark Burgess and Brian Glancy. Brian was a very close friend of mine that I made from supporting Mark and Brian at a gig in Liverpool when I was still at art school and I was starting to gig with my band Waiting for Defo. And I supported uh, them at a small club in Liverpool and just really liked Brian. He was very cookie and very friendly and, and very out there. And I'd go over to Manchester and hang out with him from Liverpool and we became fast friends and for all my first album second album touring Brian was in in inverted commas my tour manager so basically my mate driving the my golf around with the guitars in the back around Europe um, and then flying around America and driving around America together so we had all kinds of adventures anyway yeah he was a wonderful singer songwriter in his own right and this is one of the best songs he ever wrote it's called Beat the Boat And it's on Zima Junction by Mark Burgess and the Sons of God. So uh, it's a track that will bring a tear to my eye because, you know, Brian um, passed away uh, in 2006. And so he's no longer with us. And that he's he was also a great mate of Guy Garvey's and Elbow's. And that's the seldom seen kid is Brian. So um, so this so it's beat the boat by and it's basically Mark Burgess and the Sons of God, but uh, Brian Glancy singing. It's Brian. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Singing the song, Mark singing a bit of harmony on it. I'd never heard it until um, I got your list over, and it's beautiful. Yeah, right. it's, it's so... Brian was like, bit dangerous so like you know i've been on the rough side of the tracks and there's just whenever he does a kind of soft confessional line or something there's real peril there that is it's like he's venturing something you know um uh yeah so yeah he was a he was he was a wonderful bloke yeah absolutely fucking hilarious like a stand-up comedian really so yeah, so th- th- this track, I, I, I should also, I, I guess, tell the anecdote of the reason I played "Say Hello, Wave Goodbye" on an acoustic guitar, is because Brian did it um, with Mark as, as like an encore at one of the gigs I saw them do in like ninety one, ninety two, and I remember hearing it, thinking, "Fucking hell, that's brilliant! What a brilliant idea!" Yeah, and um, a couple of years further on, I was asked to do a cover as part of an AIDS gig in Ireland, like a, a, a charity gig. And, I, and when I was prepping the gig, I just thought of that song and I thought, yeah, this is perfect on so many levels. So I learnt it off the CD and obviously gave it a little bit of a twist. And when I played that song for the first time uh, myself in front of an audience, the, the, the Dublin crowd started singing it back. So by the time I got to the last chorus, it was like everybody singing. Uh, I thought, fucking hell, this has just got something. And then I kind of jammed out the end and it became this live staple that ended up being the last song on White Ladder. So Brian's to, Brian's to blame. It's it's a beautiful song and and your cover of it is absolutely incredible uh, uh, as well, David. And I have this this thing if I'm like if if I'm a bit hungover and I've and I've got that kind of like that little bit of sort of hungover anxiety i like to kind of jump on youtube and just watch some songs that i know are going to kind of get me a little bit emotional and there's there's a a version of soft cells last ever show at the o2 and they finish obviously with salo wave goodbye oh my god it's 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 beautiful and and i can vividly remember um one of the first uh ever kind of gigs i ever went to with my my now my wife uh was I don't live too far from Chelmsford, and I saw you at V in maybe 2001. Yeah. And and I didn't really know her that well then, and I remember when you played that, <laughs> I had to pop my sunglasses on because I was welling up. I was like, I can't, I can't be crying in front of this uh, this, this girl yet. <laughs> it's, it's too soon. 
<laughs> so yeah, it's that, that song does something, and yeah, and and I, I absolutely adore your cover of it, mate. Oh, thanks. <clears throat> well, for the last song, um, this is when you get to play DJ and tastemaker, um, and I'm going to ask you, David, for a song that many people may not know that you would like them to hear, please. Well, I, I guarantee that it's a song most people won't know. I, I've just discovered it through Late Junction. So it's it's uh, the band they're called the Deep Listening Band. Uh, Pauline Oliveros is an accordion player, uh, but also like an amuse, a musical adventurer. So the Late Junction episode that I heard it on is, was subterranean music. It was music with a subterranean theme. So... This was cut in 1991, this track. And what it was, was they, the whole group of them got together. Two voices, uh, bass, trombone, accordion. Sounds rather unpromising, I know. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> bear with me. Uh, uh, some found metal percussion and uh, a didgeridoo player. So there's no electronics. There's no amplification. They heard that there was a cistern, a disused water cistern, under wherever they live, Washington State or Washington, D.C., I'm not sure which. And they found a way in and they tunneled down into this thing and it held, it was built to hold like 200 million gallons of water. It was now empty, a concrete space. Well, your average cathedral has an eight to nine second reverb. This reverb in here was 45 seconds long. So they made an album called Ready Made Boomerang for obvious reasons. All the yeah. titles have got fantastic, uh, fa- got fantastic titles. The track I'm choosing is CCCC, uh, which stands for Cistern Chapel Chance Chance. And it's, it's a bit of a listen now. So I'm going to reference you with 2001 A Space Oddity, the sort of of Space Odyssey, the bit where he's sort of the trippy bit where he's going through time with yeah. turning into a baby and everything and all the music and the kind of choral stuff. And so something as ambitiously wide open as that. And Daniel Lanois and, and Brian Eno's Apollo record, which is one of my favourite um, Brian Eno records for sure, mm-hmm. if not my favourite. So it, it, it's, it's more out there than either of those, I would, I would suggest. And the, this track is 18 minutes long. It's not for the faint-hearted, uh, it, but you, are, it, you will be seeing into the mind of God. So if, if you imagine an improvisation in a chamber, a dark chamber, where there's a 45-second reverb, if you hit one bum note, that's it. You've ruined it. And it's 45 seconds before it disappears. <laughs> <laughs> so they're playing these very sparse lines. So accordion doesn't sound like accordion. It sounds like a synth. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so they, they said that they described that, that they were playing the reverb. The entire cistern was the instrument and they were just activating notes in it. But when the voices come in and start holding, oh, it's just, oh, my God. I mean, yeah. It, anyway, yeah, it is a. Is have a smoke and, and just put their headphones on or sit down, turn the speakers up, make sure there's no one in the house. Uh, I, I, every time I put it on, my wife says, can you turn that off, please? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's, it's, not, it's not for the faint-hearted, but I do think it's an extraordinary piece of music. And thank God there are people just willing to take such chances and push the outer limits of, of, of what, what is music and, and what's worth doing. Tunnelling, breaking in, breaking an entry, tunnelling down into a massive disused system and somehow managing to record an entire album down there. Fair play to them. Anyway, it's, it's, the whole album is absolutely magnificent. So it's a new discovery for me. And 
with Skellig, my latest record, I think there's so much space in the record. Space was the most you know, important element in a way. It had to have a drift, an unhurried contemplative space for every idea and song. And then when I heard this record, I realised, yeah, the, sometimes when you get to sound check, you just plug in, same guitar, same you, same chords, but you're in this massive space, big empty room, PA is on, you hear it go, Dong! and so it's actually a different instrument because what you're getting is this resonance that's just going out up through the stage, through your feet, the bass player plays a note, and it's like, oh, yeah, supercharged. Um, so... It, the space you're in and the sound that your instrument makes changes your entire... I, the idea of what the music is you're making and, and really so many chance encounters with sound and with music lead to great... With, lead to songs being born. So picking up a new guitar or a new instrument, it's the same chords, same notes, but they sound different. And so you might go C, F, G, but for whatever reason, it sounds great. And suddenly you've got a song without having to worry about what the chords are. I did that last time. So anyway, this this is a remarkable thing. Uh, and it, yeah, it's a proper listen. So dial into it. Well, David, we put together a Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast so people can go and listen to uh, all of the songs that you've you've picked and some of the other songs that we've chatted about today and, and some tracks from the new record as well. Um as we find ourselves, I mean, recording this on the, the, the 19th of April and, and we're on, as, as we touched upon at the beginning, hopefully, you know, the road out of this is, is going to be a positive and, 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 and a fruitful one and it's going to see us being able to reconnect with people and, and, you know, and hug our friends and stuff again. So as this year is unfolding, what are you most looking forward to personally and what's going to be happening professionally? I think uh, the, the things I'm most looking forward to are, yes, being able to hug people. And I think we didn't realise that all the sort of gestural behavioural stuff like handshakes, hugs, kisses on cheek seemed a bit sort of pointless and ritual. But actually they're, they're part of disarming this animal stutteriness, this wariness that actually lives inside us. We are basically animals that's quite sniffy and sort of lone wolfy. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and watching that behavior. So it'd be nice to, to get together and really, you know, hang out and get drunk and not have to worry about anything and go to a nice restaurant and all the rest of it. We're hoping to do some gigs for the Skellig, um, just a couple of shows at Union Chapel and maybe a couple in Dublin. But it's very, very hard to plan. It's every Tom, Dick and Harry's trying to book the different venues out. And it's very hard to get a straight answer about what's going to be possible. So I think we've got quite humble aspirations. The first aspiration regarding Skellig is to do just to get together as a band in Ireland, looking onto the Skelligs and do a live streamed performance of the whole album. Nice. Uh, and that was supposed to be in May, but it looks more like June. And again, it's just a, the goal coast, the goalposts keep moving. So I think I'm in no big hurry. So the idea of doing that would be mind-boggling. I mean, with, without an audience, just. To, to be able to sing together and know that everyone's going to be listening. I think we'll have tears flow, flowing down our faces. The joy of, of, of that music making will be, um, you know, I used to say I'd like there to be a world music day where uh, no one's allowed to play any music. And then I, at midnight, you, you get to hear either like Nina Simone or, you know, uh, or Allegri's Miserere, perhaps. Um, you know, you have a day off, not in lifts, not anywhere, shops. It's just 
There's no music allowed, no cars. It's just, it's basically nullified. World Music Day, so that you can actually hear what music is at the end of the day because it, it gets used as a sort of filler and a sort of background and a wallpaper thing and a sexer-upper and a, you know, Sky Sports this and a this, that, and it's bish, bash, bosh. Anyway, so that, that the idea of just playing together, I think, was, is going to be so profound. So those are my musical aspirations for the year. The White Ladder Tour has been put back till next year so it's another year away that gives me some creative space i've started to write so uh, i'd hope that i'll have gathered real momentum um during the summer and autumn and i'll have written a whole batch of new stuff uh, which i'll have to then get to grips with at some point it all depends when all these things actually happen or if they happen so yeah this would be like december for the skelling shows if they were going to happen so anyway we'll just have to wait and see i'm really gonna to have to go Stu, because that's gonna... all good so the one-stop shop for people to kind of find out what you are up to uh the website or, yeah, or social yeah. media where's the best place i guess fa- facebook and website is is probably my facebook page my website they'll, they'll have all the info about what's going on lovely david i've had such a good time chatting to you today yeah, mate thank you so fun. much it's been fun. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you. Right. Cheers. Oh, that was great. So great. Like I just I didn't want that one to finish. That was uh, such a good chat and great song choices. And I, I loved, you know, how passionate David was when, you know, explaining, you know, explaining to me choral music, I guess, and the acoustics and, you know, and, and that 45 second bounce back of reverb was was just fascinating um and yeah and to get an insight into a week that involves two glastonbury performances you know going on top of the pops going top 10 or top five um wonderful and yeah just just i'm still buzzing i'm recording this intro straight after recording it and i'm yeah uh still buzzing from that one so i hope you get um you know, a fraction of this joy uh, that, I've, uh, that I'm experiencing right now from that chat. Um, because, yeah, it was a cracker. Right. Um, also, thanks to Lou um, for facilitating this conversation. Thank you very much. That's much appreciated. Um, head over to Spotify and listen to David's playlist. Um, it's on there now. Go and uh, just search off the beaten track guest playlists and, and you'll be able to access hundreds of them as well. And uh, which are always quite interesting things to see when... Uh, you know, it starts off with uh, a, a great intro, and then by the time I ask for like the song that reminds you of school or your your first emotional record, it can generally go straight to something like I don't know the Reynolds Girls. Uh, and so, when you you know, if you didn't know the podcast and you just flicked over to the uh, guest playlist, you think, "Why the fucking hell has he chose that?" Um, but obviously the key is to listen to the chat. Then you get the backstory, and that's the beauty of this podcast. Um, Give us a, a subscribe or a like or a love or a share or a retweet uh, or a message and, and let us know um, what episodes you've enjoyed, uh, who you'd like to see me chat to or hear me chat to. Um, if you want to see them, uh, you can watch uh, the videos of these episodes over on my Patreon, uh, as well as getting access to radio shows. And there's probably two, three hundred odd shows over there now that have never been released to the public. So you can go and access that and video episodes over there and that's on patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track it's all on the website everything you need to know about archives and patreons and merch and everything else go to the website which is www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com 
I'll see you next time. Thanks ever so much for listening. Bye-bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Eat him.